Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Good evening. It's great to see so many of y'all out there. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alan. Um, I help give leadership to Crewness here at UGA. And um, just need to introduce myself to you because I happen to know there's lots of people who are here for the first or second time because I met a lot of you here earlier tonight. And I'm really just glad you're here. I don't know if you're just kind of checking things out or maybe you're new here to UGA. If you're a transfer student, welcome. Glad to have you. And um, maybe you're here for the first time because you're looking for a place to plug in and connect. Maybe you're here to because you don't know what you think about stuff and you're just kind of checking out the whole God thing and a friend brought you and you know what? You're welcome too. So glad you're here. This is a great place for all of that. Whether you are coming from a really strong Christian background and have a lot of things said or whether you don't, I think this is a fantastic place because... This whole room is full of people to your left and your right who are on a different place in their spiritual journey than you. And that's a great thing. So welcome. If you are here for the first time, this is Crew. We are one of the Christian student groups here on campus. Um, And this is kind of who we are and what we do. If you came tonight and you aren't used to singing songs like we just sang, you don't know all those words, that's understandable. Thanks for for hanging in there. We, uh, you know, we sing about God because... He's exciting to us, and we get so excited about him, we want to sing, kind of just like people on the radio like to sing about their romantic interests that they're so excited about, only way deeper. So welcome to Crew, if this is your first time here. So glad that you guys are here. We are um, getting cranked up on the semester um, after last week's National Championship Hangover Tuesday that we all enjoyed here, those of you who were here. Um, Tonight, we're kind of cranking up on a new series. All I have to say is, isn't it wonderful living in a post-national championship world, right? Yeah. Love that. I actually stole that from Anna Caroline, but she didn't use it, so I did. Um, we are starting into uh, a series in which we're just going to be talking about some tough questions and just kind of exploring things together. And this is one of the things we love to do. Um, we just think that... that Questions should be answered, and there's nothing wrong with having questions, and we should talk about them. Now, um, tonight, we're going to kind of start into a series of tough questions, and as we do this, I can't promise you that we are going to, like, provide you answers, like big A answers. Um, We might. uh, We might, in some cases, just raise more questions for you, but that's okay. It is a good thing to talk about and explore hard things. And to think about big questions in life. Um, You know, when I was in college, I would characterize myself as a big question asker. Not everybody is. That's okay. But I was just always the guy who was walking around asking questions like, why are we here? I mean, on earth. Not in Georgia, but on earth. Why are we, why why do we exist? What's the point? What's the meaning? And, And if you're that person, this is a great place. And if not, I'd encourage you, considering good questions is a good thing. And that's kind of one of the things that we are starting to do. Hopefully, whether you get your, your big A answer or not, it'll at least start a conversation. And that conversation is something we'd love to, to continue with you. 
So that's kind of where we're going. So here's the thing. Here's the first thing that we're going to start and wrestle with. We are going to start with the question in our series, Asking for a Friend. How can you say there's only one true belief? This is something that is very common in our culture. Or let's think about it this way. I live in a neighborhood where a few years ago, um, there were only about eight houses, and so all our neighbors knew each other. We would hang out in the backyard together, and we would do fun things together, and we would have parties. Um, the guy who lived three doors down from me actually was the director of the Hillel Foundation here at UGA for a number of years. He has since moved on, but he was a great guy, a really good friend of mine. Two doors down from him was a guy who hung up Buddhist prayer flags in his windows, um, and when I asked him about them, he didn't really know what they were, but... He was um, very open about the fact that he was an atheist and didn't really think that there was anything about God in life. But whatever you believe was fine. Um, all of us seem to come from very different places and have very different thoughts. And you know what? We had a great time together. We loved each other. And yet, <clears throat> in the deepest areas of life, I had profound and fundamental differences with these other guys that I spent time with. What are you supposed to do with that? You know, we live in a culture which finds exclusivity very offensive. It's not democratic. <clears throat> we come, remember, we are part of the country that overthrew the country that was above us, um, that believed in order to be significant, you had to be born into a certain royal line. And we said, no, all human beings have value. This is the kind of country we have. And the idea of exclusivity is very un-American. And it's very countercultural. And so when it comes to religion, this also seems very true. We tend to think that when it comes to have meaning and purpose in life, believing that only one thing is really true can seem very out of date. And so you get questions like these that people will often ask. Isn't it judgmental to call someone's spiritual beliefs wrong? Isn't it wrong to change someone's belief or try to convert them? Or maybe you've heard it this way. Aren't different religions just different perspectives of the same God? Or maybe why would God create only one way to know him? These are all really legitimate questions. And these are not necessarily easy questions to answer. But even as I said those, I bet they kind of resonate with you. They're just so common in our culture, right? And these are things that you hear a lot and that you've probably contemplated a lot. And so let's talk about them. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Let me show you another way that this shows up in our culture. There's a picture. You recognize that, right? Yeah, that's the coexist bumper sticker, right? You see that a lot. You see that a lot on people's cars, right? And this, this bumper sticker, I have a love-hate relationship with. On one hand, I really like the message of this sticker. Because there is a message of this sticker on the surface which simply says we should all love and respect one another while having different convictions. That is a good message. I agree. Because when it comes to our convictions and living together, respect is something that we definitely should practice. Right? I don't know if you were paying attention to the news over the weekend, but on Saturday morning in Colleyville, Texas, a man named Malik Faisal Akram walked into a Jewish synagogue with an AR-15 AR assault rifle and he held 20 people hostage uh, 
until they all kind of pulled off a daring escape. Unfortunately, all of them escaped. When you hear that, you probably think of the echo of the 2018 Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh. Anti-Semitic events with violence that are completely opposite to the message that we just said. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am here to uncategorically tell you violence like that should revolt us. When we practice violence against one another because we have different convictions and religious convictions, that should horrify us. Especially if you're a Christian here tonight, that should especially horrify you because your God has instructed you make every effort, live at peace with all, and be holy, for without holiness can no one see the Lord. So in that sense, the message that those of different convictions and religions should respect each other is a great message. I agree. Now, here's the point, though. It's not the, the belief, necessarily, that deserves the respect. We don't respect a belief. We respect people. That's the goal. And when we talk about respect, the point is to respect that person who has that belief. Now, some of you, perhaps may at some, maybe at some point in your life, you have been on the receiving end of some disrespect from someone who is a Christian. And... Um, I just have to say, I, I admit, I think I have sometimes in my life been that person. And I would like to apologize on behalf of whoever it was, if, especially if it was me, for being that disrespecter. Because sometimes I'll admit it does happen. Because in our convictions, you know, we feel things so strongly and sometimes we forget that that other person across from us is a person. But that's where the respect should lie. And that's the message that we should be having, Right? How do we respect people and not overcome them in the zeal? That's a good message. Here's my hate relationship with this. There happens to also be a second message behind this sticker that is kind of underneath that. And I know that this is some people's intention with it because I've had conversations with them about it. But there's a secondary message that also comes with this sticker underneath, which basically says this, y'all, let's just agree all these religions are true, okay? And let's just get along. Or let's just agree that all of these things are the same. They're just different paths up the mountain to the same summit. Or maybe, if you want to phrase it more cynically, some people might say, you're all just believing in fairy tales anyway. At least don't fight about it and try to convert one another. All of those messages, I think, are included in here, the good ones and the bad ones. Now, when it comes to this, I have wrestled with this a good deal about this whole idea of is there really just one belief that we could say is right or true? And I have come to disagree with those secondary messages that just say pluralism says all these things are right, all these things are true, they're all the same, just get along, just believe whatever. And I have several reasons that I think were persuasive to me when it comes down to is it really fair to say there's just one belief, right? And this idea that says that, no, all the beliefs are the same. They all leave the same place. I have come to think that those assertions are incorrect. And let me give you two or three reasons of why that were kind of persuasive to me. Just kind of right off the bat, okay? The first reason I think that that kind of pluralism is incorrect is because it's a logical contradiction. And if you pursue it far enough, you find that out. 
You probably recognize this picture, don't you? What's that? It's the elephant. It's the elephant in the room. This is a fable of the elephant, right? And you know all the story. It's like a group of blind men goes to the elephant, and they're trying to describe what is this thing, and they're trying to describe reality. And one of them touches the side and says, it's a wall. Another touches the tail and says, it's like a rope. And another touches an ear and says, it's like a fan or a leaf or something. And all of these blind men declare that they have the truth, right? But, of course, you know the moral of this fable is that we can step back and say, no, no, no. Don't you understand? You're all describing the same thing. You just can't see what it is. You're just describing part of it, but it's really all the same. Now, this little elephant fable, of course, gets used to talk about religions or worldviews or beliefs and this idea that you can see that everybody thinks they have the right, thing, right idea, but they're really just describing the same thing. That's the fable. That's kind of what gets pitched. You might have even heard this in one of your classes or something like that. But it's not too hard to see the problem with this, right? Do you see it? The problem with this fable is if you're the one telling the fable and telling all those blind men, oh no, you're all just describing the same thing, you are actually doing the same thing they are because you are claiming that you're the only one who can see, which is the same thing that they're saying. In other words, what I'm, what I'm saying is, look, a person who looks at these people who are making a truth claim and says, no, 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 quit making your truth claims, is actually doing the same thing because he himself is making a truth claim. He's doing the very thing that he forbids by saying, I can see what this really is and you can't. It's the same thing that all the other people are saying. And so in a sense, you're doing the very same thing that you're forbidding them to do. No, that's a contradiction. So that can't be right. So, so let's think about it a different way. I think another reason that I find this idea of there must be multiple beliefs which are all the same thing is that it is wrong, is that it does violence to any belief. And like I just said, this is not a form of respecting people. The goal, if we're talking about respect and pluralism, is respecting people. But to hide behind this idea that, oh, everything's all the same, is actually not a form of respecting people. When you don't recognize vast differences between different beliefs that people hold, you're actually just dismissing the person who holds them, and you're not paying attention. And that's not respectful at all. Actually, there's a, a quote that can say this better than I. This is from a book I've been reading recently by Rebecca McLaughlin. She is an absolute brilliant brain case, double PhD, Cambridge educated. She said this, To say that Christianity and Islam, or Islam and Hinduism, are just two sides of the same truth coin reduces pluralism to a patronizing posture by which we don't respect others enough to take their beliefs seriously. What a great sentence. Do you ever think about it that way? And then she keeps going. Conversely, to say I think you are wrong about this need not be disrespectful or unkind. Indeed, when one examines more closely, attempting to persuade others to change their beliefs is a sign of respect. You are treating them as thinking agents with the ability to decide what they believe, not just products of their cultural environment. We should not be offended when people challenge our beliefs. We should be flattered. I love that quote. Because, you see, the idea kind of turns this idea of pluralism on its head, and we just think, oh, 
You could never disagree with someone. You could never be exclusive and say, oh, that's not the right way. In actuality, to just say everything's the same is disrespecting a person because you're not taking their beliefs seriously and regarding them as thinking people with whom you want to engage. And so actually, it, it does violence that you think you're not doing. Now, this is completely countercultural. You see that, right? Look, we live in a culture of safetyism where simply disagreeing with someone is considered to be wrong. We, we live, you know, hence the whole echo chambers on campus debate and everything like that. Isn't it more respectful to engage someone with what they really think and believe? I maintain it is. Also, I would say one more thing of why I think this kind of, this kind of pluralistic assertion isn't right. Um, it simply does violence to the concept of truth itself. Um, there's a physicist named Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was with Steve Colbert, the comedian. He kind of quipped this great sentence that kind of made it in the media. He said, the great thing about science is that it is true whether you believe it or not. <laughs> That's a great sentence. But you know what? It's actually too narrow. It's not just science. That's the great thing about truth, right? The great thing about truth, all of truth, is that it's true whether you believe it or not. Now, we live in a postmodern world which is swept up with the idea of living your truth. How many of you have heard that phrase? Right? Of course, all of you. Your hands. Did you? Oprah Winfrey is probably the high priestess of this religion, right? If there's anybody. Did you see, for example, her interview with Adele that came out recently? I mean, over and over again, there was this exchange of Adele talking about how she finally decided to live her truth, and that has made all the difference. And Oprah, of course, has been preaching this, this for years, right? Now, there's a good side and a bad side to that. The good side being there are times when we have found ourselves in oppressive relationships and have found ourselves believing wrong things, and in order to step out of those repressive relationships, we begin to choose to believe differently. Now, I would say we need to choose to believe truth, not just believe differently. But some people use that phrase to kind of describe that. You know what? That's good. However, most of the time when people say, oh, I just want to live my truth. You live your truth. I'll live my truth. We're all fine. What they're really saying is, I just want to live my life the way I want to, and I don't want anyone to tell me not to. This is very much a part of our current culture, right? But listen, there is such a thing as truth. And there is no way to escape it. In the physical world, we just take this for granted, right? Gravity is gravity. And whether you believe gravity is true or not, just like the physicist said, gravity remains true. Which means, if you get excited one day in believing your truth that you can fly if you jump off a tall building, that's going to end badly. Now, there are such things called airplanes, which can enable you to fly, but that technology is actually based on truth and responding to it, not ignoring it. Now, in the physical world, we kind of take that for granted, although in our world, less and less, because we, we talk all the time about face new, fake news, and you have your facts and I have my facts. I think it was Barack Obama in his book that talked about the great threat to American democracy is that we as citizens cannot coalesce around a common set of facts. We have become a community in our country, in which now one of the, the new words in the Oxford Dictionary is the word post-truth. We live in a post-truth culture. These are the kind of concepts that have kind of worked our way in. But in actuality, 
if you really think about it, we cannot escape the idea of truth. And why would we assume in, in the metaphysical world, it's not the same as the physical world, right? But even when it comes to claims, we cannot escape the idea of truth. Look, when Christianity claims that Jesus died on a cross and rose again, and Islam claims he never died, those two things cannot both be true. Those two claims cannot both be true. When Buddhism claims that there are no deities, and Hinduism claims there are millions of deities in every tree and rock, both of those claims cannot be true. And when we try to treat them as all true, we basically do violence to every belief, but we also do violence to the idea of truth itself, right? And when that's the case, I just have to step back and say, this idea, this pluralistic idea that, that all beliefs are the same, is not as rational as it sounds. And so this is one of the reasons that has kind of convinced me that there's got to be a different way. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Now, there's other things we could talk about. We could talk about ethics. We could talk about the history of monotheism and how it shaped culture. We could talk about the person of Jesus. There's just there's so many different ways that you could come at this question, but I'm not going to dive into all those tonight. Although, if you want to continue that conversation later, I think that's a great conversation to have. Just kind of explore some of those areas. But let me tell you a little bit about me and, and kind of my journey as I have wrestled with this question and some others. So you're at a Christian meeting tonight, um, and you would expect we would talk about the Christian faith. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. So I, I like Ben, who was up here a little bit ago, I also grew up in a Christian background. Um, and I would call myself a Christian as I went into college. And yet my sophomore year in college was a, a very long one-year bout in which I did a lot of wrestling with the idea of what is true. And for me, that wrestling was a lot of, with atheism and this concept of, of, is there really such thing as a God or is there not? It was about a year-long battle. Um, and at the end of that reasoning through and studying and wrestling with that, I kind of came to the understanding that for me, as I looked around in life, it was pretty obvious to me that people were spiritual beings. And I kind of based that conclusion on what I could see, that we were moral, that we had a sense of justice, that um, we had what philosophers call self-awareness. That is, that we are aware of our own existence, and we are constantly asking the question, what is the meaning of life? Squirrels don't ask that question. Squirrels just think, acorn, acorn, acorn. We think about that question, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? We're the only species that does. All of these things are just signals to me that there must be something, that bulb went by, there must be something in us, there must be something to us that, that just makes us more than just a pile of atoms, right? And so what was it to me then, as I wrestled through this, that, that made me think that, this following Jesus was actually that belief, which would be right. Well, there were a couple of different things. Um, one, I'll just share a couple. With, these, these are things that made a huge difference to me. One was actually looking at the person of Jesus, the historical person. Um, let me just show you a Bible verse. You're already at a Christian meeting. You're going to see some Bible verses here and there. But here's one from near the end of the Bible. It describes what I'm talking about. 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What am I trying to get at with this passage? What I'm trying to get at here is if you were God and you wanted to reveal yourself to people and have a relationship with people, you would show yourself. And the way you would do that is you would do it through a real loud person, which is exactly what Jesus was. Jesus came and claimed that he was God in the flesh. Now, this is eminently reasonable to me. If you were going to get a job, seniors, listen, this is how it works, okay? Let's say that you did some sort of project, like you did an engineering project or something, and it was entered in a fair, and there were some recruiters coming around, and they were looking. They would see your project, and they would say, this is really good work, you know, whether it was art or engineering or whatever you had done. And, you, and they would know, wow, there is somebody here who can really do some good work. But they wouldn't really know who you are. They would just know that someone was there. What would you do if you wanted to tell them who you were? Well, you would send something called a what? Resume, right? And what does a resume have? It has all your qualifications, what you've done, what your name is. So they would get to know you, right? If you really wanted them to know who you were, how would you do that so they would know you completely? Well, you have what's called an interview. In other words, you get face-to-face with the people in that company so they can see you and see who you are, that you're a real person. Isn't that what God has done? We have creation all around us, which shows us, wow, something's here. And then we have the Bible, which is kind of like God's resume, what he's done in history, what is his qualifications. And then we have Jesus, face-to-face. And that's what John said, that our eyes have seen him, that we've touched him with our hands, that... God has shown himself to us. I find that to be quite compelling. And I think that's worth reading and studying about. But let me show you one more thing that I think is very interesting. There is something about Christianity that I found to be unique among all world religions. And a number of people have commented on it. It's something called grace. Now, there's a Bible verse. Do we have a projector? Is that still working or did that also? There it is, Romans 3. Here's what it says. It says, All have sinned, done evil, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? I mean, human boasting. It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law or doing good things? No, on that of faith. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. What this is saying, the the references to the law, mean the Old Testament Jewish law, we might interpret that as doing good deeds, right? In other words, living up to God's standards is kind of what that's saying. You see what that's saying? What this is saying is that we can have a relationship with God, but it is not based on all the good things we can do. As a matter of fact, we have all sinned and done so much bad that God's way up here and we're way down here. And there's no way we could ever get up there. But instead, God forgives us. Basically, what this says about just and justifying is Jesus dies on the cross and he pays the penalty for those evils we've done. 
And so God is justified in punishing or letting those consequences happen. But he's also, he's just in doing that, but he is also the justifier. In other words, he takes what we deserved on himself in Jesus. And so here's the thing. In Christianity, you do good things because you have been given a relationship with God. Think about every other religion in the world. What does it say? In Buddhism, you achieve enlightenment by walking the fivefold path. In Islam or Hinduism, your good deeds need to outweigh your bad on the scale. You could go on and on. In Judaism, it's keeping the law. In all these different things, you get to the top of the mountain, as it were, by doing good things in order to gain a relationship with God. Christianity is exactly the opposite. You do good things because you already have a relationship with God. This is strange because this goes against human nature. Basically, what we are saying is that human nature says, I want my destiny in my own hands. And every major world religion says that. This is, I mean, this is Invictus, right? This is the poem. You know, the parts of it. Look at the, uh, the last stanza of it that's up there. Hello? Is it there? There we go. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of the fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's human nature right there. I want to be captain of my own destiny. If I'm going to be saved, it's going to depend on me, darn it. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says no. You couldn't do it even if you wanted to. Now, that caused C.S. Lewis, a brilliant British author, to remark that this is one of the things that convinced him Christianity was actually true. And he said it this way. Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe in Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. In other words, he's saying it's, it's something we would never have made up. It offered just the kind of universe, if it offered just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But in fact, it's not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have, he says in his 1940s British English. In other words, he's saying no human being would ever make up a religion that took your ability to save yourself out of your own hands. Every other world religion speaks it that way. Only Christianity does it the opposite direction. Now, I don't know about you, but when I saw that, it exploded on me. And this is one of the things that leads me personally to really embrace this and to say, I see truth in this. I see this way is different. And so that's kind of where I am. How can you say that there's one belief? Well, I, I think it's actually more rational than the questions sound in our, in our pop culture, if we will stop and think about them. So that's a little bit about kind of what convinces me. Now, I don't know if that convinces all of you. Some of you are already convinced, and you're just like, yes, I resonate with that. But some of you might be contemplating. And you know what? That's great. Um, if you would like to continue this conversation, we'd love to do that with you. Uh, you don't have to fear pressure or being convinced or joining our club or anything like that. But if this is something you would just love to talk about more, we'd kind of love to hear what you think. Um, and, you know, we can't do that in a room this size, but we sure can do it over a Chick-fil-A sandwich for lunch one day or something like that, and we would love to do that. And if you want to do that, this card that's in your seat that you were sitting on that they uh, 
pulled out a minute ago, there's a box on here that says, um, not sure about the whole God thing, but wouldn't mind having a conversation about it. Just fill that out with your name and phone number and put a check mark on there, and we'll send you a text. And maybe we'll grab lunch Sunday. And that's all. I mean, we'll just have a conversation. We'd love to hear what you think. Love to talk through some of these questions and see if you would like to do that. So this is available for you. I just want to hear what you have to say as well. Now next week, we're going to continue looking at some questions. And the next question that we're going to look at is, doesn't science disprove Christianity? You know, we live in a world that talks a lot about, well, I believe in science, not faith, as if those two things were completely contradictory. Well, are they? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. And we're actually going to have kind of a treat. We're going to have a panel of a couple of UGA science professors come, and they're going to share some of their perspectives and some of their journey as they have, like, been in the scientific field and have, like, figured out their own fate. And so if you'd like to join us for that, please do. And you know what? If you have a friend who asks that question, bring them. Um, as you walk out the door tonight, we're going to have some flyers. And uh, they're just going to have, like, the questions in the schedule of the series. If you want, why don't you take one? Stick it on your dorm door, hand it to one of your friends, and invite them. Um, again, this is just a place where we can kind of ask good questions and hear some good answers and start a conversation. And so I hope this is helpful. So let me pray for us. We are a Christian meeting. We do that. <clears throat> Lord, we think you are pretty spectacular. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself and that you are showing yourself to us in a way that is, is not mysterious. But, Lord Jesus, you came and you were present so people could touch you with their hands and hear your voice and see you with their own eyes to show God to us. Lord, thanks for, thank you for showing yourself to me. And, Lord, thank you for the mercy of grace that even when it was impossible for us to ever reach your standard and for us to ever know you, you reached down and loved us that much to give us a relationship with you for which we were made. And I pray, Lord, tonight, if there are some in this room that are still asking questions about the right, that relationship, Lord, would you please lead them and guide them in a way that they could see your goodness and love toward them. And Lord, for those of us who have a relationship with you, Lord, we praise you and thank you and say, Lord, open our eyes that we might see just how great and how grand that relationship is, even beyond what we experience of you now. Lord, we praise you and love you for the way that you have condescended toward us. And in response, we sing these worship songs to you to end our night. Amen. <clears throat>